It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into another edition of the Skinny Podcast, presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor, along with Rick Broering. It's the Potpourri edition, the weekly edition, week number two. We got off to a rousing start a week ago. We throw out different topics and uh, debate them back and forth and occasionally agree on them. We'll see where we go today, Rick. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. Lead away, brother. Well, Skinny, the big news of the week came out on Tuesday afternoon. Cincinnati's basketball program announced a little over a month ago that assistant coach Larry Davis had decided it was time to retire just weeks before the start of the season. Obviously raised some eyebrows. Raised a lot of eyebrows. And uh, now we we found out that was with good reason. It it came out on Tuesday that Davis had actually been forced out for assaulting a 23-year-old woman on a plane from Wisconsin to North Carolina last September, at which time he was suspended. He's taking a plea deal in this whole case in court. Um, What do you you make of all this? Should Cincinnati's athletics department face some backlash here? And when people hear backlash, they're thinking penalty, right? No, not penalty, backlash, which is just public public backlash. Yeah, I think they should because um, I'm all for investigating the process and letting the process play out. I think that's fair, right? But you suspended him for a couple of weeks. Why not suspend him until the whole investigation is completed? I mean, that, that to me seems like the easy and right thing to do. Um, and instead, you put him back on the payroll, full well knowing that there might be something to this. And voila, guess what? Within a year, there's something to it. Well, it was a little surprising to me that we saw he was renewed in July. His contract got renewed in July. He got a little bit of a raise on his retention bonus, which at first I thought, and I don't know if the Inquirer changed this, like edited in the post, or if I just read it incorrectly, which is it's probably the latter. I'll fess up to that one. Um, that I thought it said the bonuses went from 3000 up to $28,000. Um, in fact, it looks like it says the bonuses were increased by $3,000 to 28000 So meaning they were $25,000 right, before. Correct, correct. Now they're at $28,000. Um, again, I'm not sure how last year a year you had to put him on suspension would mean that he gets a bonus, but maybe it was already in the contract to be raised by 3000, whatever. Um, That's not really a sticking point for me at this point, but you do have to wonder like UC's defense right now is that we put him on suspension. We didn't think there was any merit to the claims. And then we got new information right before the start of this season. And and that's possible that, uh, that meant, you know, there was a little more merit to this. But but you thought there was enough merit to suspend him back, back last September. Well, and and again, they say they found new information out since then, which may be the case. But my only thing is, it's not like the charges went away. Like this was still being played out. The FBI was investigating this, and this was going to court. So, and if you, people are wondering why the FBI was investigating, anytime something occurs, literally in airspace, that it becomes a federal jurisdiction. There's really no jurisdiction if you're flying over a part of the country that you flew over Madison, Wisconsin, or whatever, and it's their case. In fact, this was what, a Charlotte to Cincinnati flight, correct, if I'm not mistaken? It was uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin to, to, to Charlotte. To, yeah, to somewhere in North Carolina, yeah. I believe Charlotte. Yeah. Um, so that's why federal are involved. So if anybody's wondering, wait, why is the FBI involved? That's why the FBI is involved. Yeah, and I think, like, I mean, unless, you know, there's a part of the story that we haven't seen yet or I, I didn't read about, it didn't sound like this case was at any time dropped and picked Correct. back up because of new evidence or anything. So this stuff had been playing out in the courts between with his lawyers and her lawyers, and he has taken a plea deal. I, I just don't understand the renewal. That that part's hard to to, to fathom, like that, that you renewed him with this still hanging out there in this climate, uh, of today's Me Too climate. But then even if you're, you're right on that and like you really did have this new evidence that came out and decided, okay, now we change our minds, 
why, at, at what point, the, the one thing I don't think UC will have a reason for is why did you let him retire and show a video of him with the players and Mick talking about he loves the guy? I mean, you very much tried to cover up the reason that he was leaving the program. And I'm not saying anyone else would come out and be like, hey, our guy sexually assaulted someone on an airplane and that's why we're forcing him out. No one would do that. But you would be quiet about it and not say, not like praise the person on their way out the way yeah, UC did I, for I Larry mean, Davis. I mean, really, you could have probably made this somewhat go away in July. You just don't renew him. Man's going to retire, let him go. And don't, you're right, don't, don't make this a, a celebration of his career. Just see you later and we'll keep everything quiet. You shut up, we'll shut up. Hopefully you can come up with some kind of plea deal to, to have her shut up and it all goes away. And it didn't. And instead, now you look foolish because you celebrated the guy's career knowing he was kind of a scumbag. Yeah, and of course, UC is going to say, well, well, obviously, we didn't know. We, we clearly thought he was in the clear. That's why we renewed him. The skeptical person might also look at that and say, or you realize that you had just kept a coach on staff for an entire year that was now about to take a plea deal fessing up to these charges. And so you went ahead and renewed him then to, to give yourself that plausible deni deniability saying, hey, we just found out this was going to happen. So, I mean, that, that argument could go both ways. You know, I mean, the whole renewal thing is an, an, an interesting plot point in all of this. The, the biggest question then is, is there anything else? Is there anything else to his his past? Is there anything else that could get you seen trouble maybe down the road with this? That's the that's the anything else question. Yeah. And I, I wasn't really thinking of it that way until I heard Mo Eggers interview yesterday with James Pilcher of the Inquirer, who was the one who, who broke this story initially and then. Fox 19, who clearly been working it for a long time as well, had a great follow-up with a little bit more information. But uh, James Pilcher said that, uh, said that you know, he, he referenced that there were some other things that were going to come down the line and that he thought this would play out and we'd learn more about this situation. So um, he made it sound like there was more in the personnel file that we would come to find out in the next few weeks. And, and that's the part that maybe you see is, is, is hopefully ready to, to CYA because you may have to CYA on that. And I mean, it's, I don't think like any, like uh, Mick Cronin or Mike Bone are necessarily going to face any type of punishment. Like you said Agreed. at the top, Agreed. but I do think there are going to be some uncomfortable questions that need to be answered. And we get so caught up with the, the term distraction in today's sports culture. I think this will, serve as what we like to term a distraction. No, no question about it. The Reds named a new manager, David Bell, the son of Buddy, grandson of Gus, Moeller High School product. Reds reportedly wanted Joe Girardi. He turned him down and decided to stay with MLB Network, which I can't blame him for that. Um, does this hire do, does it, does it do anything to you or do anything to the Reds fan base to get you excited? Let me be very clear that I really know nothing about the guy from a baseball perspective, and really anyone that they would have hired – I wouldn't have known whether he's going, whether or not he's going to do a good job. In fact, I really don't know how important a baseball manager is in Bingo. 2018 because Bingo. you really should just be following the numbers, anyways. Um, in my opinion, however, from an optics perspective, you put out there you wanted Joe Girardi and he had no interest in coming. Yes, and then you say you follow that up by going to a GCL guy. I mean, the <laughs> most Cincinnati hire you could possibly make. A guy who's a three generation, a, a grandpa's a Hall of Famer. But does have a baseball pedigree. But does have a baseball pedigree. Of course he has a baseball pedigree. His entire family has been in the sport, like bringing him along just like they're doing right now. His dad's in the organization. They're bringing him in. Maybe he'll be great. I, again, I know nothing about him. I'm just saying this is the most Cincinnati thing you can possibly do. Well done, Reds. Here's what I think about managers. Um, I think a bad manager can hurt a good team more than a good manager can help a bad team. Because uh, a bad manager, if you have good players, he can mess that up. 
Yep. A good manager, if he doesn't have players, there's not much he can do. Can he tinker with the lineup a little? Yeah. Can you tinker with the pitching staff a little? Yeah. Can you maybe get 68 wins to go to 70? Yeah. Does it really matter? I think it's more bad managers hurt good teams than good managers help. I do I do like the fact that if he's a numbers guy, that, I mean, that's where the game's heading. I mean, truth be told, there are a lot of people that could probably sit on their couch and actually manage a game during a game of baseball. I mean that sincerely. Now, can they handle personalities, media, clubhouse, um, anything behind the scenes distract? Can you handle that? That's that's a bigger part of what a manager does than people know. But there's a lot of people. If you just want to go by the numbers a lot of times, you can put together a lineup. Fred in, Fred in, in, in uh, Wapa, Connecticut can put together a lineup and probably manage the Indians. Joe down here in Bellevue, Kentucky, can probably sit on his couch with the numbers if, he, if he's good enough with the numbers and probably manage the, the Reds. They really can't. Um, that's what the numbers have done, but um, to me, it, it, you could, it didn't matter who you hired. It's, nothing's going to excite me until you bring enough players in to win. That's what's going to matter. What will excite me is when Bob Castellini steps aside and says, see you later, because he's messed this whole process up. Dan, that I do my Xavier podcast with, we've oft, often joked when talking about Marvin Lewis and the Bengals that Dan wishes Marvin would just hire some fat 13-year-old with Dorito orange-dusted fingers and Mountain <laughs> Dew-soaked teeth that was a gaming, you know, a Madden stud bring him in to do all the clock management for Marvin because these kids know the challenging and all the rules and time management stuff much better than he ever will. That's a bit of a joke, but on the baseball side of things, I am all in on the money ball approach. Yes. Go get me a fat Jonah Hill looking dude who knows numbers, bring him in and let him run the team. That's what I want. Bring in talent, as you said, and then let some numbers geek figure out who plays when and what you do in certain situations. And I, and I would tell you, I think the Reds have some of that with, with Dick Williams and some of the guys that he's brought along. I think they are analytical, and I think they do use a lot of that and do it pretty well. The problem is you have the owner who keeps stepping in front of things. And it's when you try to get rid of Billy Hamilton, no, I want to keep Billy Hamilton. When you try to maybe move another piece, no, I like that piece. I, I, I think the fans like, no, get out of the way, old man. Get out of the way. In a few words, or even less, are you encouraged at all by the direction of the talent of this team? No. Me neither. No. There you go. Skinny, last week we talked about the Bengals' defense being an embarrassment, but on Sunday night in Kansas City, the wheels fell off completely in a 45-10 to loss to the Chiefs. It wasn't just the defense. It was a little bit of everything. Yep. Is it time to panic for Bengals fans, or should we be looking at this from the perspective of this team is about record-wise where we expect them to be at this time of the season. How about this? Yes and yes. I mean, yeah. It, it, I, it, I, I had this team 5-3 and three at the bye when you do the game-by-game projections, and they have a good chance to be 5-3 and three at the bye. They got Tampa Bay at home. Um, but it, it feels like a different 5-3 and three than what you initially put on paper and project this is a win. In fact, it's, it's played out almost exactly what I thought. Win-win. You got to split one of those games with Carolina and Atlanta. Did that. Loss to the Steelers um, and, and a loss on the road to, to Kansas City. Those were all things I thought were going to happen. But they've happened in different different ways. I think the panic part is this, especially with the defense. We'll, we'll talk about the offense, too. I don't know what the fix is for the defense. I mean, right now, they are on pace, Rick. They are on pace to give up the second most yards in NFL history. They're on pace to give up the most points in a season in franchise history. And we're not talking about the two-game sample size where somebody does something and you extrapolate the numbers, and that guy's going to throw for 73 touchdowns. No, he's really not. It's going to average. But we're now seven in, man. We're almost to the halfway point. You kind of are what you are. That's the part that would make me panic of, I don't know what the fix is, and I don't know if they have a fix. Linebackers are a mess. The defensive line has, has underperformed. That part maybe can get better because I do think there's talent on that defensive line that is underperformed. 
The injury to Darquez Denard hurts, but it shows how paper thin you are in the secondary. So you, when you get him back, at whatever point you get him back, and it may be after the bye week, that could help. But I don't know what, what else can you fix on this defense, right? Yeah, I, I guess expectations change, right? Yes. So you're right. You come in and you say, if this team goes 5-3, and three, I think everyone will be okay with that. That's yeah. what you'd expect. That's what you'd kind of like to happen. Well... When you start off playing as this team did, and it starts to look better than much better than last year's team that finished seven and nine. This is the year you're going to beat the Steelers. Well, no, it wasn't. Um, and well, then you're thinking, okay, the bounce back. You go play Kansas City's bad defense. Well, that didn't work out so good either. And yeah, you're right. Suddenly, here you are. But you think you would put yourself in position to be in a better spot, and and now you're not. And I guess what we're finding out is maybe this team is much closer to the team that they were last year, and maybe they're more who we thought they'd be this year. They got a weapon or two back. That's helped them. They've lost, lost a guy right. or two again this year. And then you have, like, I mean, you talked about the fix on the defense. You're looking for a fix. The problem is the fix was going to be Vontez Perfect coming back. Yeah, I think that's what they thought the fix was going to be, Rick. And he hasn't been the fix. And, fix. and, and let's go to that because that was our next topic. He can't play. It, that's Pro Football Focus had Vontez Perfect with four missed tackles. That's what I had him for. Only two tackles yep. made with a single stop. They also had him giving up six receptions on seven targets for 64 yards with 29 yards coming after the catch. What should Bengals fans make of Perfect at this point? Is he is he out of shape once again because he's coming back after suspension and he didn't stay up? Or is he just not good at this point and not worth the headaches at all? I, I think it's more the latter because when I saw him coming back the very first week, I was expecting an overweight Vontez Perfect and he was in pretty good shape. He looked good. Now, he doesn't seem to move very well on the field, so maybe there's still the whole get your legs back into condition. But we're now three three weeks into this. If you would have told me this in week one, I said, okay, yeah, we're three games in now. We're three weeks in. Three weeks worth of conditioning. That's almost a full preseason's worth. I'm not going to buy that excuse that it, it's a conditioning or a shape. I just don't know if he can play anymore. I don't know if it's that he's taken too many hits to the head, and I don't say that lightly. I don't know if it's he's gotten a handful of, of other injuries that have affected him, if it's the fact that now, all I swear, every game it seems like all he wants to do is try to hurt somebody. Twist a guy's ankle, uh, chuck a receiver coming across the middle. He, he had one the other night. He called out to Jordan Evans because I was watching him on the play. He pointed, and to his credit, he still's pretty good. You can see when he diagnoses a play that he can, he can tell pre-snap what's probably going to happen. He'd signal to Jordan Evans to be pointed him to a spot, well, Tyreek Hill comes across his zone, and he made a he made a point. Again, you can chuck guys. It's, it's well within the rules. But he made a point of going out of his way to chuck him and kind of extend him. And then guess what happens right between him and Jordan Evans and behind him because he's so interested in chucking Tyreek Hill? Pass completion right behind him. Of course. It's almost like chuck him, turn, and play. I, instead, it's, no, I'm going to hit somebody, and I'm going to hit him hard. And it's just, it, it's not football. It's just not. Play football. You were once a good player. I just don't know if he ever gets back to that level again. It sure doesn't look like it. But that's the whole thing with him, right? He's always caught up. You said it last week perfectly. Everything's selfish with him or, yes. or self-centered, self-centered in the most literal sense that he is so caught up in the personal aspect of these one-on-one vendettas, him against the refs, him against uh, the other team, a guy on the other team, whoever it is, that he's losing sight of what's going on. And I think that's mattering as much as the phys- physical aspect. No doubt. Although, from a physical perspective, he, he doesn't do- look good. He does not look like the no. same guy, at least he was two years ago, when he last time he was good. I mean, he got trucked, the one he got hurt on, actually. He he got run over on that play. Missed another tackle in space. and it is, I had him for four missed tackles, so I guess maybe I should go work for Pro Football Focus, because that's what they had him for. But And, and it wasn't like missed tackles where you didn't notice it. It was noticeable missed tackles. Well, and that's the thing. Like he And, and this... You know, a lot of people like to be saying, "Oh, the new rules are making guys scared to hit." Well, he's one guy we know who isn't scared Correct. of the rules. He's not. Correct. He's not like looking out for the rule book on these. He is missing dudes, and like like you said, he got ran over in that game. 
There was, I mean, two years ago, I thought that guy was made out of cinder blocks to the point Absolutely. that he would never get knocked backwards the way he was. So, just not the same guy. And and that is uh, because this defense has struggled so much. Him not being a factor really at all, kind of even being a hindrance at times. Yes, it is a major setback for him. And, and that's where you go back to. I, I think they really thought, hey, if we can get through these handful of games without Vontez and get him back. The defense was struggling before, and it's struggling even more with. I think they, they probably thought, all right, our guy's going to be back, and we're going to be better defensively. No, because your guy's not very good, and there goes your fix out the window. Um, I saw Pat Mahomes in person, and I am all in on the hype. That's what I wanted to I wanted to hear about this, because we're hearing a ton of hype. I mean, it is, it is over-the-top praise. I lap them during the radio broadcast, which I know you didn't hear because you were obviously right. working the game. I mean, it was like he's comparing him to a mix of John Elway and Brett Favre and other. I mean, like it's every great quarterback name you've heard and all this. So I'm, I'm, I wanted to like. Obviously, I watch him and it's this conflicted feeling because you, everyone's praising him this way, and it's like let's pump the brakes a little bit on a guy who hasn't even played a half a year of good football yet. <laughs> but he's put up a year's worth of stats. But at the same time, when I watch him, I'm like, good God, he looks like he has it all. He has it all. That, Is that's it just, that legit? He, yeah, he has it all. He has escapability. He has the arm that's just huge. He makes the right decision and right read. He's not a guy. Look, he's got a he's got a gun for an arm, right? He's got a ball. He can probably step up and throw the ball eighty five yards straight down the field, and he's done some things like that at times. But he's also really good at looking, scanning. Oh, okay, there's my check down guy, and he's going to put it right on the money to check down guy where he turns and he can get some yards right away. It's not a throw behind, throw high, throw here. It is. On the money, on time, chance for that guy in space. We were talking about it among ourselves as writers watching the game of how many times Chiefs receivers caught the ball. And some of this is, is coverage, right? But how many times receivers caught the ball with room to run and get up ahead of steam? And I think some of that's on him. He's He is. I, I, I'm with you sometimes. I think you, know, you get over your skis when you see a guy for a few games and suddenly – Film gets out on that guy, right? And 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 teams start to figure out a way to scheme against that person and all of those things. And that probably is going to come in some way, but it ain't come yet. And I I think he's got all the tools, and I mean then some, and he's proven it. And that's that's the thing you wonder about because we always see that we see the guy start off super hot for sure. the beginning of his career, and then everyone adjusts to him, and then it's a, a grind to get back. Well, to remember, either... remember Baker Mayfield's first game, right? The Thursday night game. Oh, the savior, and he's been he's played pretty good for a, a rookie quarterback, right? He's played okay, but suddenly that's gone. Sam Darnold that first game against. Oh wow, what about the Jets? Well, he's also had some really bad moments. Pat Mahomes ain't had a bad moment yet. No, and the 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 difference I see with him, and maybe I shouldn't say I see it, but. When I hear Andy Reid talk about the mental aspect of it, Andy Reid, when he talks about offense, isn't a guy I take lightly. Like, I mean, I think he knows what he's talking he about knows, usually yeah. when he's talking about X's and O's and, hey, Alex Smith was one of the smartest quarterbacks I've ever been around. He was able to run everything I wanted to do and understood it all, and I haven't dumbed it down a single bit since we made the transition. And I think, the, and that's crazy to me to hear. The part that I, I thought that they that he had a chance to be really good. I saw him here in the preseason last year. In preseason, you know how some guys can look great in the preseason. He, he did have a little wow factor here when you saw him last preseason. But rookie quarterback, had Alex Smith. When they decided to move on from Alex Smith and pretty much did it at the end of last year, knowing that Alex Smith would probably still get you to 11 wins this year in the playoffs, that to me told me that Andy Reid knew. I mean, he, he didn't even, he wasn't guessing. He knew what this guy was going to be and the, and the difference he could be. Because he did. He liked Alex Smith. Alex Smith won him games. I mean, look, Alex Smith is not a great quarterback, but he can win you games. Oh, he can get you to the playoffs. Those two together are pretty darn good. Correct. Yeah. But I think that proved to me right there that Andy Reid knew, and now all you have to do is watch him, and yeah, you know what, Andy Reid knew, and now we're all knowing. 
<laughs> you're not kidding. I mean, it, it is it is really impressive stuff. It it is pretty fun to watch. And uh, you, you, could you imagine being on that team last year, watching that dude as your backup in practice, and just being like, Coach, Coach, this Coach, guy. <laughs> like that dude's our backup. Yeah. <laughs> He's, put, put him in. He's running around like that, throwing the ball the way he is. It's just popping off your pads, and and guys are like, "Coach, I just I've got a cross on my chest from catching his passes." <laughs> yeah, like, can you? I, I was. <laughs> it's funny. I was watching the quarterbacks. A lot of times will come out two or, two or three hours before the game and just throw the ball around without pads or anything on. He was throwing little six yard check down type routes, and I'm watching the ball spin. And I'm thinking. That's got to hurt. That has to hurt. I mean, it wasn't like he was trying to throw it through somebody. It just came out that way. So, yeah, he's got he's got that one, not once-in-a-lifetime arm, but it's darn close. One weird thing is he throws a lot of, like, weird knuckling passes, too, that aren't spirals because he's always throwing something from bizarre, bizarre angles, angles on yeah. the move, and it's like, oh, that's a weird-looking pass, but it gets 35 yards. Threw another left-handed pass the other night that's just to throw it away. Ridiculous. Skinny, Ohio State was absolutely Ooh. embarrassed. Ooh. 49-20 at Purdue on Saturday. Buckeye fans are beside themselves. Urban Meyer is complaining about complications from assists on his brain while on the sidelines. They still have a shot at the playoffs, they do. but they basically have to run the table at this they point. Or they need don't to have to. They have to run the table. Yeah, and they and they still probably need some help even in yes. that scenario. Is this the beginning of the end for Urban Meyer, or are people way overreacting at this? No, point? No, I, I think it is. I, I think the off season stuff wore on him. I think that that. Look, as long as you're going to keep winning, you can kind of put that stuff behind you. But this was kind of building, right? I mean, there was there were there were the defense has not been good since the opener, and they've 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 really struggled at, at, at certain times. The offense has basically gone out and won them games, but that offense hasn't run the ball consistently well. It's had to throw a bunch, which has been fine because Dwayne Haskins has been ridiculously good. But finally, now it all kind of come crashing down. The defense was awful. Looked like it kind of gave up even in that fourth quarter yeah. against Purdue. The offense finally struggled enough to to where the defense needed to come up with some stops and didn't. And then it looks like Urban is just exhausted by it all. It just it looks like it all came crashing to a halt. Um, maybe the bye week does something to rejuvenate him, the team, all of those things, and maybe they do run the table because it's not an impossible thought. Michigan has to come. To Columbus, so it's not an impossible thought. They get to the to the Big Ten championship game. The team from the West is either going to be it could be Purdue again, for goodness sakes. Um, so they may face them again. So it's not an impossible thought, but it just it just feels like with all the things that are going on, and we've seen him do this before at Florida, where it just it ran its course. He hit a wall, needed a fresh start. I, I could see him in another year, maybe not after not not in twenty nineteen, but twenty twenty. Takes another year off and coaches in the NFL. The last, the last frontier for him. I could see that. That and that's like once you become that guy who and and I don't want to take health concerns lightly because I mean right. I, I truly believe he has yeah, health oh, issues no, yeah, no and doubt. he has struggled with stuff no like doubt. that. But once you become the guy who left for health reasons, but also because things were crashing down, or I shouldn't say because, but also things crashed down at the yes. place you were at and left, and the you la- take a year off. And then you come back to coach again at a high level. He's a great coach. Don't, I want everybody to understand that I, he is a great football coach. But once you're known as that guy, that's the way people are always going to kind of look at it. I also think that kind of takes the pressure off of you from a legacy standpoint. You now don't have to worry about what people think because right. they already think you're that, that guy. Because you. you're that guy. So now what if you go, and, and I heard Clay Travis talking about it this morning, and he said he could see end up at USC because the Pac-12 football's down so much in the Pac-12 in terms of the high major 
conferences. Um, they can they can afford it. They can afford it. It's a big time program. And what would and you they're be, getting rid of their coach too. By the way, Clay Helton is going to be gone. So right. So what what would it look like if you built up Florida? Let them to championships. Ohio State when they were down. Let them to championships. It's an interesting thought. And then you did it at USC. I think there would be upside there for Urban's for Urban's legacy from his perspective. The thing is, or the clean break of maybe he doesn't take a year off, and the Cleveland Browns say, "Hey, here's a here's a pot of money, man. Come on, come coach our team." Yeah, I, do you want him if you're the Cleveland Browns? Um, it's a good question because I, I think he's a I think he's a good manager. I think and I think he's a good football coach. I I'm wonder. not a big college to NFL guy, and I don't know if Chip Kelly ruined that for for for, for people, but it didn't work for Nick. It's, it hasn't worked for a lot of different guys. Nick Saban, it didn't work. Chip Kelly, it didn't work. It's worked for some. Um, you know, Jim Harbaugh's gone back and forth. He went he went college to the pros and back to college. Um, I think some of those guys like that challenge too of saying, "Look, won a national championship here, won a national championship here." I'm going to go try to win an NFL championship. They're going to give me a pot of money. Got a couple, three years. It's a different, different level of pressures. The pressure of recruiting's off. Um, so that I think that maybe sometimes is part of it. Uh, I just it just feels like back to your original question that yeah, this is kind of the beginning of the end. Are you of the opinion that his system or his way of doing things runs its course out of place? Meaning it's no. almost destined to implode at some point. No, I I I don't think that. I just because um, his system works. It, it really does. For whatever reason, they just aren't as good defensively. I mean, you're allowed to score 20 points and win a game, right? I mean, they, they scored 20 points. You can win some games scoring 20 points. Not yeah, a lot in college but football anymore. But against Purdue defense, too, yes, which is understood. okay. Um, understood. And, and, like, look, it's not like he doesn't have talent. It, this team was ranked as the most talented yes. team in yes. America by 24-7 sports or whatever, yes. which is take recruiting rankings and everything for what they are, but this team is not void of talent. Correct. He has a lot of that. Um, I do think the zone read thing is an issue because he sticks to the zone read. He has a quarterback that can't run it all, so there's yes. no real trickery in that. That's it, right. You really just have to drop back and throw now. And that's what they feels like that's what they had done the previous few weeks was try to run it, can't run it. All right, Dwayne, throw it 44 times and wing well, it for 400 yards and let's go. They were using their screen and little swing pass yeah, game as, running backs the running game as still. their run game. Right. And what happened is Purdue finally took that away. Yeah. Someone figured out how to take it away, and now... There's nothing other than chucking the ball downfield. Yeah, I, I still think they are more than capable of beating Michigan and Columbus. I, 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 I do think that because I don't think Michigan's offense is good enough to keep up. Their defense is great, though. A defense could do the same thing to, to Ohio State. But, um, yeah, the thing is, it's funny. You run the table, get back to the college football playoff, maybe he feels rejuvenated that way, right? Maybe it's, uh, all right, all this crap's behind me now. Look what we did again, and we've got talent in the pipeline, and I'm going to keep chugging through. But it doesn't feel that it way. Do, it doesn't feel that way. That's the thing. That is, It's totally logical to think all that could happen and to look at this team and right. say they're still totally talented. They'll figure it out. But, man, does it just feel like the walls are starting to cave in on these guys and things inside just aren't right and haven't been yeah, and, since the whole— and, and there are rumblings that there's, there's issues in the coaching staff and arguments. Urban actually diffused that on a conference call as we're doing this podcast actually the mo- this morning um, to say, no, it's just, it's just typical you know, coaches talking, up, talking things. I, I'm not sure I completely believe that. I think fingers get pointed pretty quickly in, in, in when things are going bad in a major program because, look, you're used to success, and now, whoa, hey, it's not my fault. Hey, it's, not, it's, it's him. It's not, no, no, it's him. I, I, when that starts coming and the walls start closing in, certain guys bail, and it feels like Urban's the guy that would bail. And, and I think they just had, in addition to whatever might be going on right now, they had way too much pressure added on to, to everything with yes. the scandal to start the year. And 
I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch it play out, but it's it's hard to imagine this thing turns around and, and like I said, it, works it, out. It, you could all you could you could get through all of that as long as you kept winning, kept winning, kept winning. No matter how you kept winning, whether it was ugly against Minnesota, a one point win thanks to a bad call by Penn State's head coach, all those things. Hey, as long as you're still winning, well, now the winning stopped, and now the fans are mad. And there's one thing you can't survive, and that's an angry mob of <laughs> football fans. That is correct. That is correct. Ohio State does have the week off. Let's look at some point spreads and numbers. Start with UC, a ten point favorite at SMU coming off just a, a, a really awful loss at Temple. I mean, they had the game in, the, in, in hand almost, missed three field goals, um, look like even after Temple scores in overtime, you get a 12-yard run on first down. Okay, they're going to score on this, then score again, stop Temple and find a way to win. They end up losing. Ten-point favor on the road. That, that's a, SMU's not great, but coming off that loss, I think UC rebounds to win. I sure wouldn't lay that number. Yeah, I wouldn't feel good about the 10 points, especially after what you just saw, because I don't think talent was the issue at Temple. No, I, I think and Temple is playing better. They, they they started the year rough. They lost to Villanova nineteen seventeen. Changed quarterbacks a couple of games in. The kids done a great job. They are a better, way better football team than what they started off the year. But that was a that was a fifty fifty game for the taking. They see. I I think UC was a better team. And maybe uh, watching UC, maybe. Was, I thought they were the better team. But I thought one they were young. They they showed that inexperience down the stretch yep. a little bit. But then also special teams really did cost no them. Question. I mean, in a big way. And and that's something you know you don't necessarily put on the youth of your team. That's just. Special teams, yes, that, that happens sometimes. So uh, The over-under, by the way, 53. I think I'd lean towards the under, uh, only because the, the UC defense, for the most part, all season long, has been really, really, really good. Yeah, and that's what I, I was going to say the same thing with you. I don't like I don't like the point. I really don't wouldn't take either team. And the I wouldn't points either. Here, I wouldn't and, feel good, but if you're if you're asking me, I'm taking Smoo in the 10. UC wins, but doesn't cover, and it goes under the total. I'm with you on that. All right, Kentucky. Seven-point underdog at Missouri, over-under of 55. Any over-under involving Kentucky these days that's over uh, any like 36, I'm taking the under. So that, that part's a given. Missouri's offense is really good. Their defense is really, really bad. Kentucky's defense, though, has shut down good offenses. They are they. People laughed at me earlier in the year, and I you, you can laugh all you want. It is the second best defense in the SEC, and I I'll I'll go to the mat on that one. Alabama's is the only one better. They have proven it. They have proven it against some good offensive teams. A and M is pretty good offensively. Kentucky actually held A and M to the fewest points A and M scored all season. That's including them playing Alabama and Clemson. I think A and M's really good offensively. Yes, correct. And A and M needed overtime to get to twenty. Kentucky held them to 14 in regulation play. I, I think the defense travels. I think the running game travels. I like the points. I can't say I think Kentucky wins. As a Kentucky grad, about the only thing I root for is Kentucky football. I'm hoping to hell because I want that Georgia game. And it still will actually mean something, but I want it to mean even more, which would be the SEC East outright championship if Georgia beats Florida this weekend, which I think Georgia does. Um they need to. They need. I don't know how they fix the passing game. They're talking about using both quarterbacks, Gunnar Hoke and Terry Wilson. After Gunnar Hoke's mom went off on a, on a Twitter tirade and, and went crazy, um, and I think it's the right thing to do because Terry Wilson is just he's regressed as a passer. Yeah, uh, and you have to get something. I don't. I don't need two seventy out of the passing game. Give me a buck and a half. You got to be a threat. You got to be a threat. And because the running th- game's good, dude. They threw for eighteen yards on Saturday night. Right, eighteen yards. And that's what I'm saying. Could I, could I tell you in today's college college football that a team throws for eighteen yards and wins? It's almost impossible. It's to do. impossible. It's almost impossible to only throw for eighteen yards unless you're like Army running the option. Yeah. Well. Okay. No. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. Because that's what they do. But and Kentucky's that, very ground oriented, but they're not Army triple option ground. Not even close. <laughs> you got. You got to have a. Le- if you're going to drop back at all, you better have at least a threat yes. to take some pressure off the running game because the running game is legit. And it's solid. The thing that I don't get is he Terry Wilson actually played really well in the biggest win they've had in a long time. The game at Florida. Um, 
threw for 260, I think, in that game. Threw some big balls in that game. But since then, it's just like, it's almost like they're so afraid to let him throw something. And I don't blame him that he can't. So I, 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 I'll take the points. I'll take the under. And I'm hoping for the outright win. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm right down the line with you. I think Kentucky, the points and the under are the play there. But I'm actually a little more optimistic than you. I think UK has a good chance to win that game. No, I think they have a good chance. I'm just, it just, it just, I've, I've been through From so the many, fan perspective, you're nervous. so many disappointments with this program. And, I get and, it. And, and they feel like they're on the cusp of doing the most ridiculous thing I could have ever expected, which is maybe win the SEC East and play in an SEC championship game. And when, it, when, when you feel like that possibility is there, it's just, it's Lucy in the football, man. It's going to happen again. It just is. <laughs> I couldn't agree. Skinny, the Bengals are six-point favorites at home against Tampa Bay. We we didn't talk about the NFL game last week, which was weird to do. The Sunday night football game, yes, we didn't throw out know, uh, what we thought about that one. I, but. I would tell you, I would have taken the over, and unfortunately, because they went for it on fourth down, it did not go over. Um, and I think some people were very disappointed that Andy Reid either didn't get them in the end zone when they were there yeah. late or get the cheapy field goal. And I would have actually taken the points last week, so I would have I would have lost. Yeah, I, the ever was a bad beat last week. It was in that a game, bad, I feel like. bad beat, especially when you considered the ag the Bengals laid. I yes, mean, everyone correct. is expecting to score against that defense. Yeah, you figured at least in the twenties, and Kansas City did what you thought was score in the forties. It was an easy one, but no. Yeah, and the over under here is what fifty four and a half, correct? Yep. I, I I'm leaning towards the over a. Because I think the offense, the Bengals' offense, it does Bounces have some issues back. right now. Um, you know, not having John Ross, not having Tyler Eifert, not having Giovanni Bernard, I think really has affected this offense. But Tampa's defense isn't very good either. I think you get a bounce back performance somewhere. Bengals, I'll go Bengals thirty to twenty seven. So I'm going to take the points in Tampa, and I'm going to take the over. I wish we weren't agreeing right down the line on this, but I, but that's exactly my call as well. I think the Bengals' offense bounces back, but there's no way watching this team that I feel they're a sure thing to win by a touchdown against no. anybody. No, correct. Against anybody. So I wouldn't take the Bengals in a six-point spread over anyone at this point except for the Bills. Uh, that is correct. <laughs> that's and that's about it. That, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Right now, the way not even playing, the Browns because the Browns no, play everyone close. They, they, they're going to wind up playing 13 overtime games this year. That's what they're going to do. <laughs> All right, Skinny, it is that time once again to take a look around the nation. We're doing some national trending stories here, a little more rapid fire. Kind of rapid fire what I got in my mouth? Yeah. Spitgate. The uh, NBA won the weekend after Chris Paul and Rajon Rondo got into it while the Lakers were playing the Rockets. It all kind of started when Brandon Ingram pushed James Harden, which was totally kind of random, but then Paul and Rondo got into it. Paul says Rondo spat on him, which caused him to poke Rondo in the face, which then led to the two throwing punches. Man, those, those were haymakers, man. That, usually in those fights, I'll let you continue. Usually in those fights, you get... You know, one guy's hoping that the other guy gets grabbed and vice versa. You're hoping that somebody grabs you and you're hoping somebody grabs that guy. Uh-uh, man. They were toe-to-toe. It was like two lightweights just going at it in the ring for, for 30 seconds. It, it was it was pretty impressive. This was a legit sports fight, yes. and that's why we're talking about it. Rondo denies spitting, even though we we do now have video evidence that is pretty clear that yeah. he... there. His mouth moved in a direction and liquid came out of it. Whether he was intentionally trying to like spit right. in someone's face. Or you spoke or and something yeah. came out as you spoke. And yes. it was just a weird circumstance that got captured in slow motion. You can you can make that decision on your own. But either way, you know, Brandon Ingram gets a four game suspension because he was kind of just entering the fracas for no reason at yes. all. Rondo got three, Chris Paul got two. Rondo goes off after this, is very upset because he says Chris Paul only got two games because he has a good guy reputation. Went out to say he's a bad guy, actually. A bad teammate, and a lot of his teammates hate him, which then you had Glenn Big Baby Davis and Ryan Hollins both going on the record as saying they both love Rajon Rondo. He's the best teammate they they've ever had and 
not big fans of Chris Paul, and they've been played with him as well. So is Glenn Big Baby Davis playing in the in the in the, uh, in the old man league now? I think he was, wasn't he? I think he's trying to avoid jail time. I believe last <laughs> okay. I, I checked, he was on an airplane telling people with a, a box of cash. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. That he that's right. Didn't yeah, do it. That's a credible guy. Yeah. So I mean, he's exactly the authority on. But in fairness, in fighting, he probably has. Probably is a decent authority in, yeah. in this topic. Yeah. So, uh, who, whose side are you taking first of all in Spitgate? You you think Rondo spit on him? I I, I do. do. I do. Yeah, I, I'm one of those. I'm a, just a walk away guy. I really truly am. I may I I may come at you and say something, and if you throw at me, I may have to throw at you. But I, I you spit on if you spit on me, I, I'm probably just going to go seriously and wipe it off my face and move away. I get the heat of the moment. I get that. I know people think it's a sign of disrespect. I. So you, I, I'm not a big respect disrespect guy, you know. I'm just not. I'm not either. But I think bodily fluids and like going, leaving you, and ending up on me I is where I, I draw that line. Maybe like, I, I think to me, I just say I, I would like seriously and wipe it off and just look at you like, what are you five years old? I I don't know. Like the the spinning one is is one where I get it, and like that's where I'd start poking people in the forehead as Chris Paul did too. Like see, I'm also anti trash talk, as you know. I think it's silly. You say this, but you are also silly. the guy who like has to be escorted out of basketball gyms for yelling at referees and opposing coaches. So like, I'm not entirely buying that you're anti trash talk. No, you're I, anti your kids. You coach trash talking. You're not anti trash no, talk. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't trash talk. I'll just tell you how I feel. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. <laughs> okay, there's a big difference. Okay, but you're not. But this isn't. This isn't necessarily trash talk either. This no, is. They correct. got into a confrontation, and he's him. telling them how he felt about him getting spit on. So there's no doubt in your mind. Somebody would. If you're in an argument, and somebody, even if it's accidental. Accidental. I'm not telling you this was, but even if it's accidental, spit flies in your face, you're throwing down. I'm not saying I'm punching you, but I'm doing exactly what Chris Paul did at the minimum, which is poking you in the face and telling you you're not going to do that again. And then it's on. And, and then, then if you're going to punch me, then yeah, we're then, probably throwing down, which is which is what happened here. Um, I'm, I'm more of a Rondo guy myself just because I think he's ridiculous. I think he's crazy. Um, I think he is too. Like I, I, I don't know why anyone would get into it with Rajon Rondo because I think he's legit crazy and yes. you don't get yes. into it with crazy people. Um, but I, like, I enjoyed this though. This was a good sports fight. I kind of like the NBA has gotten real buddy buddy. And now, if, this, if no, that's the, I think that it's funny you said that. I think that's a great point because I think people really it bothers them that, and I'm one of those, and maybe because it just I have so much on my plate. I, I, I don't mind occasionally flipping an NBA game on, but it's not appointment TV for me until the playoffs. It's just not. And, and I know people are going to go, oh, okay, so you're, you're that guy. I am that guy. There's a lot of people right. like that. And part of it is I do believe that for a lot of these guys, regular season doesn't matter a ton. It's not max effort. And I get it, man. It's a grind. So I get some of that too. But I think in this case, it showed these two dudes care about something. I mean, they care about something. And the fact that you're right, the whole buddy-buddy that – um, you know, going around, putting an arm around. I, look, this this shows there's some competitiveness between both of these guys, right? I mean, I think that showed that, okay, you know, maybe maybe not everybody in the league is buddy-buddy, that there are some real rivals. And I think that's good. And at the same time, the buddy-buddy situation also kept it from becoming malice yeah. at the palace where you've got some ridiculous things and this carrying over LeBron put his arm around. Because LeBron's grabbing yep. Chris Paul yep. and Carmelo Anthony's, you know, kind of in that group a little bit too. Like, all these guys are pretty close to where it's not really getting escalated in something ridiculous it stayed between two dudes who don't like each other who got mad and that's where it should have stayed threw, and that's that's, that's a good sports stayed. fight yeah that i is, agree that's i'm totally stayed. okay with this the mouse in the palace was absurd right and like you don't want that happening no. you don't want things going into stands and we've talked about that last week with with fans getting involved and yes. you always worry about that now especially when you have all this courtside seating and you have rappers there at games that are jumping up and down watching you got floyd mayweather there watching getting all into it so you, you don't want the fans getting involved but i am totally okay 
okay with guys not liking each other on the court and escalating to like sometimes you throw a punch or two. It's okay. Hockey like, fights don't don't get out of crazy control a lot of times. It's just two yeah. dudes go and they let them punch it out. Once one guy's got a hold of the other guy, the refs come in and, and separate them. Yeah, so I, I kind of enjoyed this. Do you have a favorite sports brawl memory? Oh, yeah. What is it? You, people have to look this up on YouTube. This will be my old guy moment of the day. Back in the 80s, the uh, San Diego Padres and Atlanta Braves got in a bean, ball, bean brawl, if you will, um, where balls are just guys are throwing pitches, literally dudes' heads and behind them. The best was it, got, it escalated to the point there was already one fight. The, the best fight of all, kind of the last one, a ball went behind Greg Nettles, and you could just see he stood at the plate for a second, and he thought – at what stage am I going to charge this cat? And all of a sudden, he charges in, and it starts at the mound, works to one dugout, works all the way behind, all the way to another dugout. I think it was pitcher Ed Whitson of the of the, of the the Padres had his shirt ripped off, so he's out there shirtless fighting. Fans are trying to fight. It Go YouTube it. It is the most insane brawl you will ever see. So I've got two. You, you got one? I've got two moments that, well, like one, one more is like the fight, and then another one's like more of a moment that's not, the fight wasn't that good. It was the Red Sox Yankees. Um, and I don't that was remember good. The one where Don year. Zimmer got, 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 so that's the moment. Out by yeah, Pedro, it's, it's Martinez. Pedro Martinez grabbing Don Zimmer by the back of his head, doing sort of like the bull, like the the Olay move, where you're like in the move, move out of the way, and then just throw the old man down and face was, first. And honestly, he got blamed for that. And I thought actually he was being pretty nice. The old man's charging him. <laughs> He's just trying to go look, old man, get out of the way. I don't think. Look, I but don't think was, there's was, protocol for that. It did situation. end that fight though. It was almost like, wait a minute, Zim just went down. Hold on, both sides at that. Wait a minute, the old guy just went down. Let's let's knock this off. <laughs> that's one of the most comical it things was, it in was. the history of. Of, in, in life. Well, especially because the way the camera of that, and again, YouTube it if you don't remember it or, or you're too young to to have remembered it, um, it's it, you'll, you'll find it. The way the camera was too, it, it it had a, it was like Pedro was in one part of the frame, and all of a sudden you see this this old bald dude running in the other part of the frame, and it, as you're watching, you're like, oh no, that's Zim. What's he gonna do? I thought he handled that pretty well. I really did. What would you have done? I that, mean, well, that, uh, like I said, there's no protocol, right? Like, yes. I mean, I don't know that that's the right thing Zim's to do. A, that you should. a good old him. West Side guy, man. He could probably still throw down at that age. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Like again, if an old dude's come at you to legit brawl, like I don't know what you're supposed to do. That's why I thought Pedro did well. He's almost like here. I'm, I don't know that throwing him down face not, first is like yeah. my go-to. I, I I don't know, but it's still it's hilarious <laughs> it to watch either way. My favorite fight though is still my favorite professional career moment of all time. And that is the UC yeah. Xavier brawl of 2012. Uh, zip them up. I, I can. I, I you were there. Yeah, I was. I, I I saw it. I wasn't there. I think if you were there, I'd have a different perspective too. It's it, it was a, it was a legit like good moments of fighting, like um, hilarious leading up to it. Everything about it, like there was the night before on the radio with uh, yes. Andy Furman yep. during that up and like. Just everything about it was such a good moment, and like I, I admit it's personal for me because like it was I was still young and it was kind of like the first time we were in the center of a national news story and everyone wanted to know about it. But I'll always love that day. It was yeah, just I, the best. I, 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 you know, and obviously, it, and it, we still make fun of things like no, reflection no sessions no and Yancey Gates and, 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 and Kenny Freeze and, 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 and the reaction afterwards. On top of it all, one hundred percent. I'll do this one. Booger McFarlane, because I saw it, chastised Odell Beckham for going to the bathroom Monday night during the game. Giants were playing the Falcons. Booger says, back in my day, we'd do that on the sideline. I didn't need to go to the back for that. We just sat down on the bench. You do your business and move on. That's what we did. These diva wide receivers want to go to the bathroom. As a defensive lineman, you didn't go to the bathroom. You sat on the bench, did your business, and got up. Are you for peeing in your jersey or not peeing in your jersey? This is the most... And actually, when he says business, does he mean just peeing, or is there other bodily functions on top of that? I would hope not. I don't want to know. 
I do not want to. As you know, Mark Schlereth, the longtime NFL offensive lineman, is known as Stink for a reason. He would literally pee all over himself. Yeah. It's P, though. P. I believe it so. was P with him. That's what he says. Yeah, he says it he was says. P. Yeah, Although his name is Stink, Stink. which is interesting. Correct. Yes. We associate that with number two. It's I think. nasty. Um, I, no chance I do this, first of all. This is the nastiest thing I've ever heard. I can't believe guys do this. I can't believe teammates are okay with it. I can't believe any any of this goes on. This is the most football guy move of all time. Like, really? You can't miss two minutes to go run back to the bathroom? Like, what? honestly, how much actual game time, I, Skinny, could you possibly miss running back to the to the Bengals locker room from the field? Yeah, I, I, and I'll be honest with you. I can't remember ever playing a sporting event where in the middle of it I had to go. I don't know. Maybe I... I, I well, I, I know that occasionally you got to go and, and look... These guys hydrate and, and at a hydrate level like that you yes, and I and, may and that not. And is, that is correct. That's the part I was going to say. They, there's no doubt about that. Um, but yeah, I think I could miss that or I could wait until the quarter break or the halftime break or until my unit's not on the field and go, Coach, if I'm not back, put Fred in for me for a play or two. Okay. I got to go. Well, let's let's just go ahead and say that, like, give these guys the benefit of the doubt and say not all of them have a stone bladder like yours that can hold till the... And say they absolutely have to go at that second. Coach, I I got I to gotta go, man. Right. Don't you think it's reasonable to just take... How, how much game time in a football game with all the stoppages will you actually miss running off the field to go to the restroom? Correct. There can't Although, be. That brings me to my favorite softball story of all time. I think I've told you this, but I, I, I haven't shared this in a while. I was playing softball up at a place in Villa Hills, playing left center. My man was playing left field, and a big old can of corn comes out there between the two of us, but it was more his ball than mine. And he quickly goes, I got it. Okay, stand there. And all of a sudden he goes, take it, take it, take it, take it, take it. So I go flying over there to catch it. He's running off the field. So he comes back. I said, what happened? He goes, man, he goes, I don't know. I just crapped my pants right in the middle of that fly ball. <laughs> And I kind of looked and I went, well, you did what? He goes, I took two steps and crapped my pants. And he said, I couldn't, I couldn't stand it any longer. I, I mean, God is my witness. Middle of a Sunday afternoon. Middle of a Sunday afternoon. The best part is I'm stopping and yelling, you got it, you got it, you got it. <laughs> and that's why I thought for a second, I thought, okay, maybe he lost it in the Old sun. Hammy. Maybe, yeah, oh. something happened, lost it in the sun, um, you know, just lost beat, whatever. I thought, oh, okay, I'll, I got it. And then to see him go running off the field as I'm catching it, I'm thinking, what in the world is going on here? And then he came back from the restroom. He said, "Yeah, crap, my pants." Oh, hold on. What? What do you? What's the protocol at that point? Then, like for you, you put your pants on a softball field, you waddle off. What do you do? Like, I guess you you go you did, go underwearless, or maybe you got a spare pair in the trunk. Did I don't he go know. walk of shame back through the dugout, or did he just he just ran right to the bathroom, cleaned himself? Did up? Did that have to go through a dugout? No, no dugout. Everyone, no, or did he run out what, the outfield? Yeah, it's just access? one of those fields where you got you got a concession area. So he ran to the concession area, went to the bathroom. Okay. All right, man. That is—he's now a high school baseball coach. Oh man, I know. I guess I don't want to know who it is. though. Nope, I probably not, know. Him. I'm not. Yes, you do, and and you do, and it might be a place you went to high school. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Oh boy. Okay. All right. Finally, the Red Sox beat the Dodgers eight four in Game One of the World Series, and there's a, there's some questions about we just talked about it earlier about managing with analytics, right? And I'm okay with managing with analytics. I, I get that. But you had a pitcher, Javier Baez, who blew two dudes away. Only two guys he faced. Blew them away. And yet, here comes the time for the, the, the matchup against him. He's right-handed going against the lefty. So what do you do? You don't, break, you don't leave the guy in. You don't, you, don't, you don't manage by the seat of your pants in that stage. You go, damn, he's got some stuff tonight. I don't care if it's a righty, a lefty, Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Pete Rose. I don't care. He's staying in. It was, no, nope, my lefty against that lefty. Well, then the counter move for Alex Cora was pinch hit. What happens? Pinch hit, three-run homer. I do like managing with analytics for matchups, 
But I also think you need to look and go, hold on a second. This dude tonight has got some stuff. I'm leaving him in. Matchup be damned. Do you think guys overmanage in that regard? So this is tough because I'm I'm firmly in. I just said I'm totally fine with hiring some and numbers I am, nerd. I, I am too. The one thing I But I don't do, think you can manage everything by every every instance by the numbers. But then the problem is if you don't, where do you draw the line? And then how do you criticize guys who draw the line differently? Like if you're going to say, well, arbitrarily, I'm going to decide what's what is analytical baseball and what's not, like when we should use it, when we shouldn't. The only time I do think there might be a little difference is I think pitching is such a feel thing. Yes. It is such a, you got it or you don't have it, or you got your and A stuff, your B stuff, his or stuff your worst stuff. was A plus stuff. And like when you know, and when you know as a manager, like when the pitcher knows, and when you know as a manager, and every and the catcher knows, and like everyone's on the same page, to me that has to be communicated. Like everyone has to be on the same page. Like, dude, I mean, he's got, no one's touching him tonight. If 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 I'm in the on deck circle after I watch him just blow two dudes away, I'm thinking crap. And then oh wait a minute, and then I'm gonna get pulled anyway. So we got the matchup we wanted because the other guy overmanaged. And I do think there's too much. Like again, it's it goes back to they do it because the numbers say it, but like. The lefty lefty righty righty thing, I think is is overdone in those instances. Like yes, like like I mean, if you've got a Rodis Chapman, does it in his day or just whatever top level closer with 103 mile an hour stuff? Does it matter if the dude's right handed or left handed? Does it really matter? That's that's my point. Is like when you're blowing someone away, the what side of the plate or what side of the rubber they're throwing from doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, if it's a if it's a left-handed batter who just wears out right-handed breaking ball pitchers and I've got a left-handed breaking ball pitcher and he doesn't do very well against those type, then yeah, I'm going to bring that guy. But if I've got a guy throwing 100-mile-an-hour gas who's got his stuff that night, he's hitting spots, all those things, and you can see it pretty quickly, then man, just leave him in. Don't over, don't overthink it. Just go, this dude's got a, I don't care, he could send up whoever he wants. He can bring Ted Williams from his grave tonight, and I'm going to pitch this guy against him because of what he had. Again, I am for, I am pro-analytics, and I think you're right, but there also does have to be a line that says, I, I, I have to believe what I'm seeing. I don't care who's hitting. The only time you can convince me of that, and I don't necessarily, I'm not saying I'm firmly in that boat. Like I kind of get why they do this, and I'm okay with it to a certain extent of saying, hey, we're going to go by, play the odds, let this guy hits X against lefties versus X against yes. righties. We're going to do the lefty. I, I, I'm okay with that, but I do think there's a little bit of a difference. To me, everything else should be numbers. When you should bunt, who, what your lineup should be, yes. wh- how many pitches you should take, all the all this type of stuff. Pitching, when you is, steal. pitching is very much feel. But to me, pitching is so much about like either you feel great, you feel okay, or you don't have it that day. Right. And if you know if you're in between, you can battle. If you don't have it, you got to get yanked. And if you've got your best stuff. You go until you say you can anymore, right. in my opinion. And this was only two batters worth. I think he could have gone a third. I think so, too. Got one more for me? Yes. So, Skinny, this is uh, one of one – of, this is not sports-related, but it, I just had to get your take on it because it's, uh, it's a little bit off-topic. Um, I but, like off-topic. Yeah, but I, think, but I think it's kind of up your alley. Um, this, this girl who recently got married said that she – had always been jealous of her sisters because she was not as attractive as them and not as popular as them. So she went about trying to make her sisters less of the focus on her big day. She got them, they're fair skinned with blonde hair. She got them bright yellow dresses. So it would look poorly with their complexion. It's not going to go well. And then she went so as so far as to say, I need you guys to eat these smoothies, drink these smoothies I'm making for you every morning. So you'll look your best. She's buying weight loss supplements and stuff, acting like she's put them all in there. 
But in reality, she's scooping them out and putting like triple extra protein gain. Weeders weeders weight gain. Yeah, the stuff you see the dude shaking with the metal balls at the gym. She's putting all that stuff into their morning smoothies to fatten them up. So they'll have an expanding waistline. And of course, they uh, they did. They did. They were plump. Uh, they had to get the, the were, dresses expanded. She, uh, she says, at first I went easy, but by the month before the wedding, I was adding triple the prescribed amount into Maggie and Charlie's smoothies, leaving my own simply as fruit and coconut water. Worked like a charm, and in the lead up to the big day, both her sisters had to get their dresses let out to accommodate their expanding waistlines. Skinny. Women are wild. Yeah, that's just you're you're gonna do that to your sisters though, really? I mean, you think enough of them to put them in your wedding party? Maybe that you, it's almost like it's a given, right? That's what you're going to do. You're gonna put your sisters in the wedding party, but you're gonna make them look bad so you can look good. Come on now. When I look back on my wedding photos, I sometimes feel a twinge of guilt that I'm standing there glowing and gorgeous in my bridal gown, and my sisters are looking washed out and chubby. But I mostly feel happy. Wow. <laughs> This is, this is very, very mean stuff, I'm just going to have skinny. to say this, and I try to keep cursing at a minimum on the podcast. What a bitch. <laughs> you have two daughters. Yes. I mean, could you imagine this type of no. battery going no, on? No, and I, they are two that, that growing up fought like cats and dogs, um, but they actually just hung out for a weekend, and I was stunned that they actually they, they, they survived that. But I could never see them trying to one-up the other in that regard. I just I couldn't see it. So oh, I'll, my gosh. I'll be honest. This story did not come as a surprise to me. I have a strong theory about women always want their friends to look uglier. Like, if you go on Facebook, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you the test for this right now. Go hot, on Facebook. Hot girl, ugly girl? No, go on Facebook okay. right now. And this is, look, people aren't going to like to hear this. We're in a feminist time, whatever. Just We're still allowed to call people attractive and unattractive. Just yes, go on to Facebook yeah. right now. And look for someone you know, doesn't matter if they're attractive or not, but look for one of the worst pictures of them. Either they're wearing something that's totally unflattering, their makeup's terrible, or they're just heavy at that time. They've put on some founds and they're looking fat, right? Look at the comments from their close friends after that. Gorgeous! You look beautiful! I love that dress on you. Maybe maybe they really mean it. Then go to the hottest picture of them. Look Look at the picture where they're really on it. And no comments. It'll have 150 likes from dudes. There won't be a single comment from their friends I, I saying, will, I will look at beautiful that. dress. I, I will. You look amazing. I'm telling you right now, girls want their friends to look ugly. I've been saying it for years. Facebook only exposed the fact, and now this has made it come to light in a viral fashion. Yeah. The only thing I would say about the two sisters are, couldn't you start to feel like you were gaining a little bit of weight and wondering what the hell's going on? I mean, they don't know what's going on with their bodies. I gain weight all the time for reasons I have no idea what's going on. Do you weigh yourself daily? Enough. Yeah, so then you know that, okay, I need to probably cut back on this or that. I just figured I drank six Miller Lights and forgot about it the other night. Well, in this case, if they put on the point of where they were probably not even close to plump, but maybe even thin, and suddenly you're plump, wouldn't you start going, wait a minute, I just put on 20, I'm not eating differently, I'm still exercising, what in the world's going on? But if your sister's making you weight loss smoothies, that can't be the problem, right? Uh, Yeah. Wow, what a caddy, and I'll say it again, bitch. (laughs) Uh, I think that's a good place to end. I've got I think, nothing, I, I, nothing to follow up I think up it with. is. I appreciate that story. Right, we'll be back. We're back next week again. We'll kick around the local topics, throw out some national topics, and Rick may find something off the wall again. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. This is the Skinny Podcast, the Potpourri Edition, presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati.